to It Is What It Is, episode 31 of the News and Current Affairs podcast on the 8-Bit Collective. I'm your host, your guest host, John O'Peck, sitting in for Jack Cruz, and I'm joined by my old friend, former colleague, another former colleague, it's Sean McComish, TV journalist in Tasmania. How are you doing, Sean? Hi, John. Thanks for having me. It's all right. It's, uh, I know that you th- you refer to me as going to the dark side because of my venture into public relations, but uh, we've got a, a Victorian here who's, who's ventured into Tasmanian territory. So tell me about that. How's that going for you? The dark heart of Van Diemen's land. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great place, Tasmania. It's kind of like a, a cross between country Victoria and Melbourne. Everything's close. It's sort of its own little world and... The beer is great. The wine is great. They make good gin over here. The meat is terrific. It's it's a paradise. Don't tell your friends. <laughs> you don't want anyone else moving there. You want to keep it to yourself. Well, it's funny. People people are moving <laughs> over, um, and uh, yeah, the Hobart housing market's just going nuts because of it. Um, I'm in Launceston, so it'll be interesting to see if we have any uh, spin off of that up here. But yeah, it's going gangbusters at the minute. Cool. Well, we might start off by maybe just explaining who you are, what you do, and uh, maybe what your political background is, because uh, people sometimes like to know what they're dealing with when they're hearing your opinions. Well, I don't have too much of a political background. I've got a a journalistic background. Um, So I've worked at uh, newspapers in uh, regional South Australia, regional Victoria and Melbourne in Victoria and uh, now I'm a television reporter here in uh, Launceston, Tasmania. I've worked at a couple of networks here in Tasmania um, just covering uh, state politics, federal politics when uh, when the federal pollies fly over and visit but uh, generally just a day-to-day rounds reporter covering everything from the magistrates court to dairy farms. It's a great place to work it's a good variety of things we um see and do over here hmm. and uh and, but as for my politics yeah. uh you know um cautiously cynical would be my description right as every good journal should be indeed yeah and uh, in terms of podcasting i guess we should say we did a whole bunch of podcasts together back when we were working together in warrnambool the super terrific happy hour, just like Matt last week. You jumped out probably like 30, 40 episodes in, I think, though, didn't you? But you must miss uh, miss those good old days. You and uh, Matt and <laughs> making sweeping, broad generalizations that I hadn't really thought about or considered. But, you know, we're all passionate, aren't we? Yeah, we'll see if you've learned anything since then <laughs> about uh, podcast etiquette. <laughs> Or, or just general uh, conversation etiquette. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. We'll get into the news headlines with a bit of rapid fire. Rapid fire. This first one is a, a sad story. We won't go too much into it because, I don't know, it's just not nice, I guess. It's uh, the Madden shooting in Jacksonville, Florida, in the US. We have three dead and 11 wounded after a, uh, a gamer went nuts and... Uh, decided to shoot up the place at this yeah this Madden sports esports tournament. Uh, what was your reaction to seeing this, uh, Sean? Was it much like the all the other kind of gun shootings we have in the US, or were you as uh, you know disappointed as as I was to see it hit the uh, the gaming brethren? Yeah, it was incredibly disappointing to see and very saddening to see another shooting in the US. The thing that struck me is just how you sort of. <laughs> 
gut response to this is there's been another shooting in the US. Um, and, yeah. and it's interesting to see how the media try and find new angles or what, what the new angles are each time there's a shooting. How, how do we make this story different or how is this story or this, this crime different to the last one? Um, you know, they're, they're so formulaic because each time it's just, it's, they're all so similar. You know, people are at a gathering, someone comes along and just indiscriminately kills, um, you know, and wounds a lot of people. Uh, yeah, it, it's, I, I mean, I was reading about it today and I think one of the, um, one of the victims is, I think, suing EA now for um, compensation. Yeah, right. One of the wounded. Oh, sorry, yeah. one of the wounded. Obviously. Yes, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're all victims, aren't they? Yeah, well, I think it's, uh, it's, I think it's happened before. I, I was reading, um, I think the victims or the, the wounded from the Aurora case, um, the Aurora shooting that the, uh, when the gentleman went in and or the person went in and, and shot up that theatre where people were watching The Dark Knight Rises, I think they tried to see yeah, the compensation right. as well. So that seems to be the latest that's coming out of that um, that story this week. Yeah. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Like, you have to have some level of, of freedom in just going to a public event, don't you? Like, you don't want to feel like every time you step in public, like, you're walking through a level of security that indicates there could be something terrible like this happening. I think Australians just find the whole shooting uh, or the whole the whole gun culture of America just perplexing. I mean, you know, we had Port Arthur here in Tasmania in 1996 and um, mm. the country just said, no, we don't ever want this to happen again. Let's not have semi-automatic weapons or automatic weapons uh, within public reach and you know, laws were brought in. And, you know, from an Australian perspective, it's just mind-boggling to see how the, the debate plays out in America. I mean, what is the answer to it all? I mean, you can't have metal detectors and undercover law enforcement at every community and public event. I'm not really sure yeah. what the answer to it is for the for the Americans. Yeah, and like you said at the top, like the fact that it happens so often, you start to get you know, you get used to it and that's a terrible thing. Like this is one of the most disastrous events that you can imagine happening to someone that you know. So to, to feel like it's just another one is really quite sad and indicative of, uh, I guess, the culture that's that's happening over there at the moment. Well, it was li- I think part of it was also live streamed. I don't actually think the... Yeah, it was it's on Twitch. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not sure if the you could actually see... Uh, anyone wounded or killed on mm. on the stream but i think you could certainly hear it through the audio yeah I've, I've seen clips that i've refused to watch where you know gunshots are going off and that kind of thing but anyway we'll move on to the next item i don't even want to like i'm not even going to put his picture in the thumbnail i'm not going to say his name it's one of those things where you, you don't want them to get any notoriety out of something so heinous. So the next one, a bit uh, a bit lighter, but still an, an interesting uh, sign of the culture that we're in at the moment is Peter Dinklage, our favorite uh, Game of Thrones dwarf, <laughs> if there were any others. he's uh, He came under a bit of fire for being cast in HBO's uh, biopic for Hervé Villachez, I believe it's pronounced otherwise known as the uh, actor playing Tattoo in, what was it, the the fan- Fantasy Island Fantasy in like Island. the 70s. And then, 
Yeah, and then he was in one of the Bond movies. The man, I think it was the Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, I think that was the one. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's one of the Bond films. I don't believe I've seen. I, don't, I can't remember. I've right. watched that. One. <laughs> there's this, there's this belief that this uh, actor who's now deceased that Peter Dinklage is portraying was like part Filipino, and people are calling out like whitewashing, as we've seen so many controversies in the past with, uh, I guess, Ghost in a Shell and Scarlett Johansson, a, a lot of that kind of thing. There's a long history of this happening in Hollywood. And, you know, it is something that, that is needing to be discussed when it happens. But problem with this, Hervé uh, Villachez was not Filipino. He was French. He was German and English descent. And uh, according to Peter Dinklage, people are saying this based on the way that he looks. And like, he, I guess he looks kind of Filipino. The quote that I got here from an interview he did was... Uh, People think they're doing the right thing politically and morally, and it's actually getting flipped because what they're doing is judging and assuming what he is ethnically based on his looks alone. People are jumping to conclusions based on a man's appearance alone, and that saddens me. So he's kind of flipping it on the people who, uh, I guess, thought that they were standing up for, you know, social justice, but it's uh, they've, they've jumped the gun. So what was your reaction to this story? It's kind of, it's kind of a, a unique... Uh, story like a spin on a story like this that we don't usually see yeah it's very unique and uh to be honest i'd never heard of this actor uh before i came across this controversy i can't even pronounce his last name how did you say it (laughs) villachez villachez um as i was reading up on this his life sounds amazing and i'm really looking forward to seeing this film now because Mm. it looks like it's going to tackle a lot of the discrimination or apparent discrimination that this man faced trying to be an actor and becoming a successful actor. So if anything, it actually looks like it, it's given the film uh, a bit of, you know, pre-premiere uh, notoriety. Yeah, I couldn't, buzz. Yeah, I couldn't actually, as I was sort of making some notes, I was trying to find where the original story, uh, the whitewashing claim of this came from, um, and I couldn't really find too much out there i know there was it was one outlet in particular and i'm not sure that that story's even up on their website anymore um when i Mm. I clicked on a few links to to try and read it and uh it was saying that it'd be it had been removed (laughs) but i think that's funny i think it does raise it's a it's a conversation that always needs to be had i think hollywood and the entertainment industry and whitewashing it, I mean, the whole story reminded me of uh, first year university when I very naively told um, a Saudi Arabian friend that I'd like the movie Aladdin as a kid, and he pointed it out. He pointed out to me just how racist the the film was, with all of the the main good characters being lighter skinned, and the villain Jafar being the one with darker skin and having a hooked nose. And my friend said to me, you know, he's the, he's made to look like a um, a cliched Arab, and I don't, yeah, it's uh, wasn't something I'd ever thought of, and very naively at the time, I was sort of a, a little bit ashamed of myself, and even um, even another movie that I loved as a kid, Lawrence of Arabia, which I'm not sure why as a kid I loved that movie so much, but <laughs> you know, you've got Alec Guinness in that playing um, Prince Faisal, and I'm I don't. I don't really wanted to re- re-watch the film lately, but I'm not sure how much I'm going to like <laughs> watching uh, <laughs> those scenes where Alec Guinness is, you know, obviously had quite a lot of makeup done to make him look Saudi Arabian. 
it's yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to really rethink watching that one. Yeah, I think the interesting part of this is that people were basically jumping up and down based on what they'd read on Wikipedia. That seems to be the only like source that was listing his background as like half Filipino and everything else. Like there's like, we know that he has a French accent and uh, obviously a French, very French name. And he grew up in, from what I can tell Europe or, and spent a lot of time in America, but yeah, it was just, it's purely the way that he looks and they've made that assumption. So I guess it's a, a sign of, of people standing up for, you know, it's, it's a knee jerk reaction when, they don't actually have the facts and they haven't really done any effort to find them before kind of grandstanding on, on a moral issue. Well, it's it's interesting that he blamed, uh, Dinklage blamed uh, critics or writers using Wikipedia as a source. Uh, I had a look at uh, films listed for whitewashing on Wikipedia and this film is already on there and it hasn't even <laughs> been released yet to my knowledge. Yeah. So... It shows you really can't use Wikipedia as a research tool all of the time. No, or almost never. But reading <laughs> uh, reading Dinklage's interviews, he says that he's been talking about making this film for fourteen years, and wow, I think yeah, I mean this actor. How do you say his name again? Hervé <laughs> Villachez. Villachez. I mean, he was fifty yeah. when he um, very sadly took his own life, and Dinklage, I think, is forty nine now. So it's a film you get a sense that he's quite passionate about making. Mm. Well, I guess if you're someone of um, of Dinklage's appearance, there wouldn't have been a lot of role models for him to look up to as a kid. You know, you've got like Warwick Davis, you've got Deep Roy, who has one of the coolest names ever. Great. And man. then, you know, Hervé Villachez. And they were probably like the three, like most, uh, you know, not, not mainstream, but they were like the most recognizable dwarves in Hollywood. So for him to probably, I'm guessing, grow up, to somewhat idolize this guy and see him as a, a sign of, you know, if he can do it, then I can do it. And being able to portray him a film would probably be, yeah, like you said, he's been planning it for 14 years. It'd be like a, a bit of a, um, a bucket list thing for him. Like I, I can't even think like 14 years ago if he was even successful. Oh, no idea. No idea. But mm. um, I mean, I love watching Peter Dinklage in Game of Thrones. He's just, he's such an expressive actor who acts with his eyes and, He's, yeah, he's, great. he's just fantastic to watch. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm already looking forward to this film. Yeah, Death at a Funeral. He's fantastic. Both versions. Of, I think the British one's probably better, but uh, yeah, he's made it, he made it into both of them somehow. Okay, moving on. Another story from uh, the shores of the US and it's the West Coast, In-N-Out Burger. Have you had an In-N-Out Burger before, Sean? You know, I don't think I have had In-N-Out Burger and people mentioned it when I was in the States a couple of years ago. I went to California mm. and I saw it around California and I think I might have seen it in New York as well and um, maybe not, but I, yeah, I did. I have not had In-N-Out Burger. Yeah, I somehow haven't either. I've, I've had uh, Whataburger and I've had Wendy's and most of the, the big American chains, but somehow I missed this one. But it's notorious for being like only, I think it might even be only LA that you can get it, but that's, uh, I, I guess, what's given it that extra level of, um, of fame there. But so this burger chain is known for being conservative, much like Chick uh, Chickaphil has across America. And uh, 
they came under some fire this week for apparently donating. It came out that they've donated $25,000 to the California Republican Party. This is a, a chain that's been known for printing John 3.16 and other kinds of Bible scriptures on their cups. So they're known to be, you know, I guess you would say right wing or uh, conservative and uh, having kind of outspoken views about Christianity and that kind of thing. But for people to call a boycott, it seems, uh, I don't know, I guess people can spend their money how they want, but it seemed like it was uh, something that was going to run out of steam pretty quickly because people love their burgers probably more than they love to, to make a moral grandstand. Yeah, well, it the company, I think, was pretty quick to put out a statement from, from the vice president saying that they'd made equal contributions to the um, Democratic and Republican um I think the phrase is political action committees in the oh, in the really? state this year. So I think that might have even, you know, if there's truth to that, that would also, you, you would think, take a bit of fire out of the, the calls to boycott the company or boycott their products at least. <laughs> but it's Yeah, in- I actually missed that. It's interesting though. It, like uh, it seemed like my first thought was this is a, a very American story, you know, um, a political knee-jerk response that somehow involves fast food. But there's actually, there's been a couple of cases of uh, company boycotts here in Australia in the last couple of years, which have actually... Yeah, that's interesting. ...which have actually been successful. And I think, you know, there's two, I guess, there's two examples of company boycotts. You're either boycotting a company for, to protest something the company has done outright or you, you, you're protesting for some kind of result. And the two, the two Australian cases that come to mind in the recent years are both industrial relations um, boycotts. The first one or the most recent one that I could think of was the boycott um, of Streets Ice Creams last year during uh, an industrial relations dispute um, between the company and the AMWU. Um, over pay cuts to some of their staff in Sydney. I think it was Sydney. And to, uh, I, I, that had some success. I think the, the, the union got what they were after. And similarly, in, um, in 2016 in Melbourne, um, CUB or Carlton United Breweries faced a boycott of their beers and their ciders after they tried to put their electricians and their fitters on, I, th- I think, a different um, uh, enterprise bargaining agreement. And that led to a backlash from people no longer drinking their beers. And I think in uh, similarly there, the union, um, the agreement that they're after eventually. So, yeah, company boycotts can work, but they, I think they need to have um, an aim or a goal. And, and in this case, it just seemed to be something that was just done uh, on a knee-jerk reaction from, uh, yeah. I think it was a, a Californian Democrat. I don't even think the party um, <laughs> got behind it itself. And in any case, a lot of people, I think, probably would have been posting photos of themselves eating burgers on Twitter or Facebook. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I kind of was hoping that you'd mention Australian examples because I was wondering if this kind of thing would work over here or if it's just another... Uh, indication of, of like the American political landscape at the moment. Because I mean, I feel like $25,000 to a party doesn't seem like that much money for a multi-million dollar organization who I assume is doing this kind of thing all the time. It's just that this one, for some reason, managed to leak out or it was, 
uncovered and, and revealed. Yeah, I mean, I think there wasn't really a uh, a, a boycott for a cause or, or for a um, mm -hmm. you know for for a result in this. I think yeah. you know there there wasn't a, a tangible aim. I mean, we have seen we have seen some other boycotts this year. There was a bit of a fallout. Sky News faced a bit of a, a um, I guess you could call it a boycott in a sense after the um, uh, Sky After Dark interview with uh, Blair Cottrell. Um, we saw, I think it was uh, the Victorian government ask, uh, you know, Southern Cross train station and a few other places to no longer broadcast Sky News. And I know people, you know, have called on Qantas to stop showing Sky News in um, their lounges and things like that. So it does it does pop up, and you know sometimes mm. it's political, sometimes it's yeah with CUB and streets, it's uh, uh, all to do with industrial relations and workers' rights. Yeah, right. And I guess like the the biggest example of a boycott that I can remember in recent years, like even more than the ones you've mentioned, is the whole like not supporting the Coles and Woolworths brand like the supermarket milks when the whole dairy crisis was at its peak um, and that was probably something that we were following pretty closely in the southwest where we were both growing up uh, well where we grew up because it's such a dairy area but yeah like the the push for people to support particular brands over the supermarket brands was probably the most successful and biggest one that I've seen would you agree with that? Oh look, there was definitely a, a push um, to the other other brands. Uh, I look, I can say even I for a while was buying um, buying other uh, other branded milk, but I'm not sure whether it had any impact in the long term. I think you'd need to speak to a good uh, dedicated agricultural reporter to find <laughs> out just what impact yeah. that had on the on the market. Yeah, I, w I will admit that that kind of motivation to support those guys has probably dropped off a lot since it's not really in the headlines as much as it was a couple of years ago but uh yeah it, it definitely was very like in your face at the time and something that a lot of people were posting about and there was a lot of campaigns at the time so i guess the point that we're getting out of this is these campaigns can work but there kind of has to be a good reason like a solid reason rather than just a knee jerk this company supports this party therefore i withdraw all support from them that doesn't seem to be very effective no well it doesn't look like it has in this case <laughs> sure uh, now we're moving on again to the sports world where serena williams has had a pretty interesting week i know that uh not everyone out there is a sports fan but this kind of crosses into like the areas of like fashion and some kind of social issues so i thought it was a good one to bring up so Serena Williams uh, wore this kind of cat suit in the French Open recently, which is, you know, apparently designed to help her like circulation, blood flow, uh, just basically her physical performance following her pregnancy and childbirth in recent years. I can't remember if it was last year or earlier this year. Uh, and of course, it was, uh, she's a very stylish person. So it was fitted and it was black and curvy. And the French Open's come out and said that they don't want to see uh, a certain style seeping into their tournament. And they named her specifically saying that it wasn't like in the spirit of the game, essentially. And there's a lot of people coming out and saying you shouldn't be able to tell uh, this athlete, this, you know, one of the greatest tennis players of all time, what she should be wearing when it's functional. It's not 
uh, you know, it's not overly revealing. There's people who wear like pretty short skirts and dudes wearing sleeveless tops and they get away with it. So there was that first reaction to support her then. And then following on from that, the US Open, which is on at the moment, uh, Louis Vuitton, the, uh, is that pronounced right? Vuitton? I'm no sports reporter. You've always known that. I mean, that's the fashion. That's the fashion designer. Uh, I'm no fashion (laughs) reporter. No fashion reporter either. It would seem. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with Louis Vuitton. Has designed Serena a uh, Nike tutu to wear at the US after the catsuit ban, and uh, it's it's kind of funny because it's it seems like it's kind of a um, maybe a middle finger to the French Open to say. You know, if you think that that, that was um, out of line, then check me out now. Yes, Queen, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, on the one hand, it's it's entertaining that tongue-in-cheek response there. But on the other hand, it, look, it's disappointing to see another story about uh, what a woman is wearing. And, you know, you only have to ask, would you do you read and see stories like this about what male tennis players might be wearing. I mean, I haven't really got a lot of thoughts on this other than to say that it's it's just mm. a disappointing story to be reading about. You know, it, I mean, it's it, you know, if if it was for um, if it was for health reasons, why not just leave it at that? Like, I'm I'm not sure that you would you would see a male tennis player facing the same sort of scrutiny and attention on this issue. It's it's. Mm. It's just disappointing, I think. Yeah, and that's what it boils down to. It seems to be an issue across the sport because there's been actually another example similar to this where um, I can't remember her name now, but there was a a female tennis player that went and got changed in the break and then she came out and her top was on backwards. So she quickly just on the court pulled it off, turned it around, put it back on. She had like a sports bra underneath. Basically what you see like triathletes wearing that kind of thing so it was you know not sexual in any way in my opinion and i'm sure that there was no one else there that had that thought but she got hit with a like a warning or something from the umpire who thought it was inappropriate and she you could see the look on her face she couldn't believe it because you have guys that take their shirts off all the time uh in between matches or in between games and sets and there's no reaction at all so it's a definite double standard that we're seeing and i think that uh tennis will have to adjust to that because this is two pretty high profile instances in one week of that kind of you know i don't want to go out and say it's flat out discrimination but it's a discrepancy between the way that the male athletes are treated and the females oh look i just every time i see a story like this come up i just groan and think are we really having this again i just (laughs) i I just don't know why we can't move on yeah yeah I mean, well said. Hopefully we can. Hopefully it's uh, it's just something that, I don't know, I don't know if you want to call it growing pains because it seems to have been going for such a long time and I guess you only have to go back and look what things were like 10, 20 years ago and, and maybe we have come a long way in, in a lot of those areas. But uh, yeah, that is it for Rapid Fire. We're moving on to the main topics. Starting off with Australian Shores. We, uh, we love a good whistleblower, and we've got one this week with the French nanny. The Senate inquiry has been launched to examine Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton after he allegedly used his ministerial powers to personally overrule a border force decision 
to deport a French nanny. Apparently, after being lobbied by AFL CEO Gillan McLaughlin, I got a bit of a uh, description of how this thing broke down, so bear with me and then I'll get your thoughts. So these kinds of interventions are apparently very rare in airport situations, but this woman apparently admitted she was breaching her tourist visa a few years ago and was, she was going to work for someone in Adelaide and that someone turned out to have a father who makes some very generous donations to Peter Dutton's Liberal Party and that someone, that someone was also a relative of this AFL boss who's then lobbied for Dutton to sort this mess out. So this has all come out through leaked emails and despite Dutton's denial, uh, it's not actually not the first time that he's done it according to this whistleblower that's leaked some past examples. So I think to me, the issue here, aside from you know, the act in and of itself, what he's done there is the obvious contrast to his lack of compassion for refugees, refused entry into Australia, despite citing some humanitarian reasons and motivations to let these European women in here. Uh, so that's basically my read on this story. How have you followed this one over the week and what are your thoughts? Well, in all fairness, I haven't followed this story particularly closely, but I know Peter Dutton does say that people are now leaking information against him for payback in his role in the uh, Liberal Party's power struggle and the the leadership spill uh, mm -hmm. the other week. And I think that's probably a fair comment. Uh, it, it would be hard to see this happening, the story coming out a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think it's definitely still all the fallout from the leadership spill um, what I've been enjoying most actually is the American Peter Dutton, the popcorn seller from Texas. <laughs> I've been enjoying his, uh, his photos and his posts uh, come up all over my Twitter feed. Um, he, he seems to have you know, gained uh, 25, new, uh, 25 million new followers on 25 Twitter. million? <laughs> no, well, you know. 25,000? Well, <laughs> the Australian population maybe. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Um, but I mean, in terms of what he's done here, do you think that he's clearly in the wrong for these, you know, going over the heads of, of his, uh, you know, his workers to, to make this decision from on high? Look, I'm not sure. It'll be interesting to see how much comes out at the, the Senate inquiry um, next week. I mean, at the moment, I'm, I'm not, I'm in two minds as to whether it's, just an example of revenge leaking or maybe some good journalism in the making. I'm not sure. I haven't quite made up my mind yet. Hmm. And do you think that if he wasn't the Home Affairs Minister with, you know, a history of comments about the, uh, you know, the refugees attempting to make their way into Australia, that this wouldn't be quite the issue that it is? Oh, I think it's definitely that that is the, the issue. It's It's comparing comparing the two there. Um, but he did tell, uh, I think he might have said in a News Corp interview um, uh, just in the last day or so that uh, he's, I think he revealed that members of parliament have lobbied him more than 900 times this year to intervene in immigration cases. So he's maintaining that he's done nothing wrong. And the Prime Minister Scott Morrison is, of course, maintaining that line that he's that there's been no wrongdoing. But it'll be interesting to see what evidence, um, if any, comes up at that Senate inquiry. Yeah, I mean, my take on this is, it's kind of like what's good for the goose, it's good for the gander, and to cite that 
he's made this example, like he's used these three people, these three, I think they're three European women. I could be wrong on that, but it's at least two European women and, and said that, you know, it's he's showing compassion to them and their extreme circumstances to allow them to stay in Australia. That really is a slap in the face. The people who care so much about the humanitarian side of, of uh, you know, the refugee crisis that has been an issue for many years and not to mention those people themselves who've been turned away. I think there was even like there was a, a high profile case where a uh, Australian, I think former military person was vouching for an, a man that was an Afghan tra- translator that was trying to come over here. And even that person was being refused despite having, you know, a, a history of, of serving and, uh, you know, aiding Australia's efforts overseas. So, yeah, it's it's definitely not a good look for Dutton and it, <laughs> just what he needed after last week's disastrous attempt to take the uh, Prime Minister position away. I mean, it would also be interesting to see where this leak has come from. Uh, you know, oh, if it's, yeah. Well, what's your pick? From, if, well, I mean, <laughs> if it's come from within his own party, then, you know, it could be a sign that there's still major rifts between the coalition colleagues it'll be interesting to see how much further this story goes yeah i mean there obviously is major rifts there it's the whole reason we had that divide last week and and the liberal spill but what was your i mean it's still a big story even a week after it's happened but what's what was your take on the whole spill situation and how you think that leaves the liberal party going into not just the state, or I don't know if Tasmania has one, but Victoria's got the state election this year and then obviously there's a large federal election next year. Well, we had a state election in March earlier this year where the Tasmanian Liberal governments hung on to power um, comfortably. I know, yeah, we've got the uh, state election in Victoria this year with Daniel Andrews um, and the uh, opposition leader there, uh, what's, what's his name again? Matthew Guy. Matthew Guy. I've been been across Bass Strait for too long. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see when a, when an election, federal election, is is called. It, this won't have helped the government at all. My interest, I've been interested to see how Turnbull's legacy will look in some years' time. Whether he'll be viewed as the prime minister that tried to keep everybody together, tried to be the peacemaker between the factions of his government and his party and failed to do so. Um, I think that the next couple of months will be really interesting to see if Scott Morrison can bridge that rift within Mm. the Liberal Party because at the moment it, it looks like no one has been able to do that since John Howard. And whether whether Scott Morrison is the person to do that, it's going to be very interesting to see if he can he can get everybody on board before he calls an election because they can't go to an election divided like they are at the moment. They would just be asking for a wipeout. So it's a fascinating time in politics. Yeah, no doubt. I think yeah, like people are already talking about how long Scott Morrison's going to last in that position, which really is just a sign of how chaotic things are there. Like, do you think that he will, if if they do win next year, he'll be there for some time? Or do you think it's just a matter of time until someone else pops up and, and vies for that position? I think the, the, the nature of opinion 
polls and the news cycle. And I, I mean, I've never spent any time working in Canberra, but you just want them to just stick with the person they've got. I think Australians are just over over all of this, yeah. over the, the constant change in in leaders. You know, I. I it's frustrating. It's yeah. frustrating. It's very frustrating. And, um, you know, my selfie with Malcolm Turnbull now is worthless. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You'll have to get one with um, with uh, Scott Morrison. Well, he was over. He was over here um, a couple of months ago when we did have a by-election campaign on. I never thought it, it would be worth the shot of uh, getting one getting one with him. Mm. What have you learnt from that? Just get selfies with everyone. <laughs> you never know he'll be the next Prime Minister, so... Another Hollywood story, Louis C.K. is back. The comedian, the disgraced comedian, I guess you could say, has been out of public eye for about 10 months since he admitted allegations of sexual misconduct were true. Uh, he disappeared last year, but then this week he returned to stage at the Comedy Cellar, which as far as I can tell is a fairly notorious uh, New York City comedy club where he performed a 15-minute set. It was described as the typical Louis C.K. stuff. So there were about 115 people who greeted him warmly, but the rest of the world hasn't been so welcoming and many don't seem to think that Louis deserves any chance at a comeback, I guess, when his victims are still out there dealing with the things that he did to them. So, Sean, do you think he's done forever or is there a way that it's going to be acceptable for him to work again? You know, it's interesting. I went back and I read his uh, apology, his statement uh, after I think it was the New York Times spoke to uh, the survivors that had made those allegations. And I thought to myself, this isn't a, a bad statement. I thought it's got a, you know, a bit of humility to it and he'll says he'll listen and he'll come back uh, when the time is appropriate or after he's done some hard thinking and you know, presumably learned his lesson. But Clementine Ford, the writer in, uh, yeah, Fairfax. Peace in Fairfax yeah. noted that his statement didn't actually use the word sorry. Uh, so I, I wasn't, yeah, that made me sort of look at it again. And I think the interesting point to get to your question is that a lot of the time we look at these these instances, the, the Harvey Weinsteins and the Kevin Spaceys, and we look at their careers. We don't really look at the women or the people that have suffered in this we the question that's asked is will they recover mm. will what does this mean for their careers we don't really think about the the careers of the um of the women and the people that have made these um made these allegations or come forward to to speak out um you know you, you'd have to think that they'd, they'd be putting their careers on the line and their lives on the line to to really take it up to um a famous person or a celebrity that's allegedly done terrible things. Hmm. So do you think what's the process for him at this point? Like I know a lot of people have said he should just go away, um, that the comedy club shouldn't accept him, that he shouldn't even attempt this. Do you think that like, uh, like my thought is I've got kind of no problem with him attempting to come back and then it's just up to the people that are paying him and the public to decide if they want him there and I think that there will be I mean it will be interesting to see if people are as forgiving as 
as they have been in the past because it's you know there's there've been people who've come out of scandals like Mel Gibson and uh, I guess Robert Downey Jr., Mike Tyson, they've come back bigger than they were before in in some cases, uh, despite what they did in the past. But I don't know, this one, because of the whole Me Too movement, it feels like people aren't going to be as welcoming. Is that your read on it too? I think it's too early to tell with Louis C.K. Um, Roxanne Gay in the New York Times um writes that the court of public opinion has litigated the misdeeds of the other men. Some have lost their jobs. Harvey Weinstein um, is facing criminal charges, and though they've fallen from grace, uh, plenty have had soft landings. So whether or not this is a soft landing for Louis C.K., it's it's a bit hard to tell at the moment. And, I, and I, the question in all of this is, what is justice hmm. for the people that have made these allegations and for the people that have suffered what what's justice for them is it justice that he doesn't come back for another two years or what 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 is the right outcome for those people and i don't think that him returning to the spotlight nine months after all of this really surfaced i don't know that they would see that as justice so it raises a really interesting question of what's justice when it's with, with, when it's in the public court and not the legal court. Yeah, I mean, I think if I was one of those people that had been hurt by this guy, I would never want to see him again. <laughs> so, in that sense, I think that you know, you know that I I believe in forgiveness as a, as a Christian and everything, but I also think that there are consequences that come with that. And for Louis, I think that if I was Say, say I was friends with him when this happened or if I was advising him for some reason, I would tell him like, maybe you're just done with public life. You don't need to work. But if you want to work, maybe just go away and work behind the scenes and work uncredited if you have to because uh, I think maybe that's just the price to pay when you've kind of ruined people's lives. It's interesting. I'm not, I, I, I was trying to think whether we had stories like this a decade ago. Uh, I'm not sure that we did. You didn't really have the women and people coming out mm. saying, "Yeah, that's kind of hard, part happened. of the whole thing, isn't it?" It's, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting. You, you you do need to. I do wonder where it's all going. Whether you'll whether we'll see more more figures and more allegations and more evidence come out against other um, other actors, especially even older actors, maybe actors from you know, the seventies or, you know, the nineties, mm. sort of it's, it's who is next. Yeah. And we talked about this a little last week with Matt Neal, our old friend, Matt Neal. And he was, we were talking about Kevin Spacey's like new movie bombing and some of the reasons behind that. But, and I think Matt made a point about separating the art from the artist where there will be a lot of people that will do that, that they will say, I enjoy this person as an entertainer and I'm able to separate what they've done. And I think that there will be enough of those people for someone like Louis to have a career if he's willing to ignore the many, many, many people who don't want anything to do with him and aren't even happy that he's trying. So, it you know, it, it won't be the huge probably Netflix specials and world tours or national selling out Madison Square Garden, things that he's been used to, but it might just be enough for him to stay working in the industry uh, 
and if he i guess if he keeps doing it people will just forget not forget about it but they'll just get used to the fact that he's working and stop talking about it that might be his plan here and i guess we'll like you said we'll we'll see the the proof is in the pudding as they say and we'll we'll eventually see what comes out i think yeah but i i guess getting back to my original point you know what what do the women in this matter want what would they like to see and it's i think it's a hard question to to ask and answer because they don't have a loud voice and a, and a public voice like he does. Yeah. So, and ultimately, they don't have any power to, like, like you say it's important what they want, but what they want won't necessarily happen because there's nothing to enforce that, is there? Of course. Yeah. Tricky one. So the, the second of the main topics is one that has a couple of different angles to it, but basically it's the, the death and funeral of John McCain, the... Uh, U.S. Senator is that the right Central term? Candidate. Yeah. So he was. Uh, yeah, he was. He was a leader for the Republican Party, running against Obama in 2008. Uh, also known for his exploits as a Navy officer, he was in the. Um, uh, he was a naval aviator for more than 20. Or he was in the Navy for more than 20 years, and even captured during a bombing mission in North Vietnam. So he spent six years as a POW. That's kind of what most people over at least on our on our side of the world would know him for aside from running against obama but regardless of his politics uh he he did live an extraordinary life and the tributes that we saw coming in after his death this week were pretty pretty interesting to see pretty touching in a lot of cases i think did you uh, get a chance to see some of those reactions yeah i think the the one thing that really was doing the rounds on twitter this week was the video from um the 2008 presidential campaign uh that great clip of the woman saying that she didn't like obama because he was an arab and mccain replies no ma'am he's a decent family man and a citizen I just happened to have disagreements with. And it wasn't an isolated hmm. occasion. There, I think there were a few instances where people said that and he, he replied likewise. Uh, and you only sort of have to fast forward a decade later and try to imagine Donald Trump replying like that. And Donald Trump, who of course called for Barack Obama to uh, come up with his birth certificate for so long. It is interesting how when yeah. celebrities die, we tend to celebrate their their best moments, and um, surely that's got to be one of McCain's, because you could see in mm. that moment where he's dis- where he dis- like uh, replies to the woman, some of his supporters. You can hear a little bit of booing in the background, and there's a, a little bit of silence, and it's great just how he has the integrity to persevere and, and win them win them back over it's good it's a good viewing yeah i think like almost nine out of ten politicians in that instance would kind of do some kind of nervous laugh and maybe say uh i i don't want to comment on that or they you know trump would probably agree with them <laughs> but uh yeah most of them would kind of avoid going to the lengths that McCain did to stand up for his opponent and someone, you know, those campaigns were very personal. Uh, there's a lot of politics or it is politics, but there's, I was going to say there's a lot of personal politics involved in that too. But yeah, he went the extra mile to really give his, uh, I guess, fair and 
an unbiased view of his opinion on Obama as a character. And that kind of brings us to like the second part of this story. So I got this from CNN. They described this as a parting lesson in American civility. Uh, John McCain, while he was sick, I think it was a brain tumor that eventually got him, but he invited Barack Obama and George W. Bush, or HW, is it? No, it's W, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, W, to, to deliver eulogies at his funeral. So they're both rivals who ran against him uh, George was in, I guess, the primaries in the 2000 selection, and then obviously Obama in 20, uh, 2008. So they butted heads probably a lot of times and were opposing each other. So this gesture to have them part of his send-off has been viewed, I think, as a clear sign that McCain's acknowledging his respect for Obama and for George W. Bush. And then there's that side to it. But then at the same time, he's made it very clear he did not want the current president, Donald Trump, at his funeral. And that tells me how little respect he has for Trump's character and personality, that he would you know, welcome so openly these rivals while the current POTUS from his own political party is totally snubbed at his funeral. Well, it's, it's interesting if you look back, there's uh, some years ago now, and I'm not sure whether it was during the uh, Republican or during the last presidential campaign. But Donald Trump actually said of John McCain, um, and I'm not sure if it was on Twitter, I think it might have actually been um, on camera, he actually said he's not a war hero. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people who weren't captured. Yeah. So you can see why, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, just on that alone, why uh, John McCain, who I think, yeah, spent, what was it, six years as a POW, um, you know, mm. shot down over Hanoi with um, broken arms and a shattered leg, might not be a fan of um, of Donald Trump after saying something like that. Even you know, even though he disagreed with um, uh, Mr. Trump's politics, but it's it's interesting too, though. Even though he's been, even though McCain was sick for such a long time, he actually and you know passed away only, you know, several days ago. He was actually in Australia in, uh, I think it was May this year. And... Um, oh, really? We commented on um, here in Australia with, I think, uh, you know, most of our most prominent politicians um, in the audience. And uh, I think his, his comments here are that I realise that some of President's Trump's actions and statements have unsettled America's friends. They have unsettled many Americans as well. There is a real debate underway now in my country about what kind of role America should play in the world. And frankly, I do not know how this debate will play out, which is unusual because when Americans, when American diplomats and politicians visit Australia, they often just repeat the same line about how close we are as friends. And certainly John McCain did say that, but to, make that statement about President Trump in Australia, I thought was very telling as well. Yeah, it is interesting. I guess they've got a lot of personal history because whether it was because of the snub alone, I probably don't think it was, but Trump seemed to reluctantly acknowledge uh, McCain's death and the statements that he was meant to put out and the even like there was some controversy with the flag flying at half mast for only like half a day or something so yeah it doesn't seem to be any love lost between those two figures and i mean the 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 way the polarizing nature of, of trump makes me think about what the next like 
10 years or so will be like when he's no longer in office, whenever that happens. And the way that the his replacement in the his party is going to talk about him, I don't think that it will be very flattering. Well, I think uh, going back to our earlier topic of films and biopics, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe one day we see a film depicting the life of John McCain uh, mm. as war hero through to um, somebody who at the age of 72, uh, with an election impossible to win, decides to run for president. Uh, it would be good to good viewing. Yeah. Yeah, I'd watch it. He's, like his whole life just seems fascinating and... It's, uh, I guess, rare for people on the left to come out and praise someone for their for their ethics when they're on that opposing side. But as far as, I, and maybe it is just the fact that he's, you know, died and we, like you mentioned, we try to find the best in people when they go because, you know, no one likes to focus on, on the negatives, speak ill of the dead and so on. But yeah, it seemed like there was at least a lot of respect for what John McCain was as a person, even if people didn't agree with his politics indeed yeah so that is the news we have one reader or listener question for you sean comes from uh, ashley hobley gold coast resident who says are the rumors about tasmania true and we figure that you being a former victorian now and new tasmanian would be a, a the perfect person to to answer that well the rumor is that this is an island paradise with the best beer, best craft beer, best Pinot Noir, best gin, great wildlife, good bushwalking tracks, best gallery in the country, best national parks. Those rumours are all wrong and you definitely shouldn't <laughs> visit here or buy property here or investment properties. Right. <laughs> Tell us what you really think. I think I'd like the houses to remain affordable so I can get one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should, you should get in on that while you still can. <laughs> and with that, Sean, where can people find you if they would like to follow you on the Twitters and elsewhere? Um, you can fo follow me at SP McComish on Twitter. And uh, that would probably be it. Don't don't look for me anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> don't come knocking don't on, knock uh, on my on door. door. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you can... Uh, follow me on twitter at jono himself and it is what it is is a podcast of the 8-bit collective which you can find over on twitter at we are 8-bit if you'd like to leave an itunes review that really goes a long way to helping the show gets the word out there bumps it up the algorithm we all love that and uh, of course jack cruz the usual host he'll be back next week so until then it is what it is <laughs> <laughs>